welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by Tony. Fact, thunderstruck. That was my theme song when I played football in college. They literally <laughs> used to play that when they were when they announced me coming onto the field. <laughs> oh, it's such a ripping tune. It is. I just I I almost blew my voice out earlier today when I was practicing. <laughs> <laughs> so my hats off again to Brian Johnson for literally doing that voice. For like 40 years. Like, I don't get it, dude. I don't. And like for like two hours a night, six days a week for months on end. Like, whatever, bro. I'm just shocked. No lucky fan got to go home with his voice box. You know, just one day he's he's hitting that and his pop goes out. Fans catch it. Yeah, they, get they the pull the souvenir. ticket out of their pocket and it has a larynx next to it. Oh, my God. I must have <laughs> fell in my pocket. Yeah, it's nice. So, but today, you know, I, I'm not the one with a thunderstruck is being sung in honor of this time. This time it is being sung in honor of our DM for Storm King's Thunder, Tony. <laughs> the first of us to successfully wrap up a full campaign since the start of Three Wise DMs. Man, yeah. congratulations. It was a good run. Uh-huh. Well, th- thank you, gentlemen. I couldn't have done it without you. That's literally true. That is absolutely true. Yeah, specifically, specifically. Yeah. I mean, someone had to kill those giants. Yeah. Right? There was a lot of genocide to commit, but man, we uh, we, we got to it. I was really proud of how you guys took the violent solution in almost every situation. When... <laughs> now, that's not true. No, no really we did. We, yeah, we did. Uh, I don't know what the, what the percentage split is, but uh, I was surprised with how many encounters we got away with by bribing or just sweet talking people i was actually quite surprised by that way more than any self-respecting bugbear fighter should have <laughs> really i mean you could argue i didn't play the character here <laughs> uh, but you know it made sense for me because i did make my dump stat con Absolutely. but you know we'll uh we'll probably get into that maybe we, we, we let the guy we let we let the uh we let the pansy lead is kind of what it came <laughs> down to here we, we let the uh the, the guy who could talk well make the decisions and and we live with the consequences the xp <laughs> left on the table Ugh. well i felt like you guys moved the ball in uh, that campaign very effectively. And there, while there was a lot of role play, it was because it happened, as Dave would say, organically. It wasn't that I was fishing for drag out a role play, or to, in, you know, to create a role play scene. Um, they just kind of happened and we all went with it. And I think that's what was kind of the flavor of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So before we dig into that, though, Tony, how does it feel to be the first of us to complete a campaign uh, since the be- that we can talk about since the beginning of the podcast? Um, I felt its end was a little bittersweet. I was sad to uh, to bring it to a conclusion, but I'm very happy about how it ended. I feel that everybody hit their keynotes and that it left uh, it leaves us room if we want to go back to it. And say, hey, what's happening with our characters now? We can revisit them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was surprised a little with, well, one, 
how uh, we said this like a episode or two ago, you know, quickly is a kind of a relative statement, but we did in essence storm King. So we went first to 11th and it was 16 sessions total, which is kind of crazy, but also maybe not. So I, maybe we'll get into that a little bit more as to like how, what Tony was doing with the mob to uh, try to get to that point. But uh, yeah, we, we hammered that out in 16. We're up into like, I think 18 or 19 sessions with Strahd and there's still a good chunk to be had mainly with like Ravenloft and stuff. But yeah. Uh, so it was, a uh, it went, it went quickly for such a large adventure path. I thought. And of course, you know, I think 18 sessions into Woodstock Wanderers, you guys were still about sixth level. Yeah. I think we had <laughs> hit a hot dog somewhere. That, that, yeah, we, 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 as Tony well, said, we were climbing over broken glass under razor <laughs> wire for that little bit of XP that we had, just that last little juice hit, you know? <laughs> so been, that, that wasn't long after you guys escaped from being sacrificed by uh, Brother Maynard. So, That's true. That's yeah, true. We've come a long way since then, but I'd say uh, that campaign has moved at a different pace, perhaps to its detriment. It, there, I think there was a very strong fundamental i can't i wasn't i was only i was actually in your woodstock wanderers campaign before it was the woodstock wanderers and then i came back later ironically um but uh technically technically it started as the woodstock wanderers because that was the first that group had the first session in that world then we started the other group that you were in originally the group that, that that fell apart after we had to move online and now you're back in with uh, with with the with the original Woodstock Wanderers. Kind of wondering what happened to your old companions. I'm sure nothing bad at all. They're you all know, so great. I, what's funny is we've effectively had, I guess you could say, uh, effectively had like four or five characters leave that game. Even though, e- even even though it's like you know, you know, the other games have lost no one. We've effectively possibly had four or five characters die in that game, depending on how you look at it. That is the name of the game. <laughs> So with that, that's kind of an interesting, uh, like uh, maybe a segue. Let's see. So that game that you guys had started, where you were in the world of Woodstock, right, in essence, but somewhere else in the in the kingdoms. Um, Tony's wizard was Erasmus. Mm. You guys had your Christmas game or whatever it kind of was. You guys found the deck of many things. Tony wanted to become a storm giant, so you turned Erasmus into a. You know, as we've said before, you benchmarked out what's a storm giant and what is what can I do with a player? He became a storm giant. And then in Storm King's Thunder, which I think, Tony, you've said, and maybe we can get more into this, that that's actually part of the mod, that there's like this literal like giant companion that goes with you, which to us turned into Erasmus. And then in the Woodstock Wanderers Christmas game, where we were sent to save St. Nick or Chris Kringle, however you want to say, right? Erasmus shows up making snow angels in the snow. And now Erasmus is also in with the Woodstock Wanderers group. So you have now translated this one character over like two multiverses or something. I'm not sure exactly the, uh, the time space. Really- we, we haven't really settled on how this works. This is a situation where there's two Erasmuses. Uh, there are some differences. Uh, alternate reuniverse Erasmuses. Uh, there's definitely been a, some kind of split from the time he went, he joined Storm King's Thunder to the time he reappeared. Well, he definitely seems more powerful when he's in the Forgotten Realms. Like yes. uh, maybe that's his Samson style. And then when he comes to Woodstock, 
He's not. He's like Samson with his hair cut a little bit, you know. It's well, he doesn't actually have the the Mystic Legendary Lightning Bolt. That is, of course, a book a book item in Storm King's Thunder. I am sure. Oh yeah, that took that right out of the back. Um, there was a Frost Giant NPC. I was just looking his name up. It's um, Hashnag. Something to the effect of that, spelled H-A-R-S-H-N-A-G. Just rolls right off the tongue. And <laughs> when he's introduced, uh, he would be a real badass. Like, he's a Frost Giant warrior, and he's got a mythical axe, and he has special magical... Like, seriously, his axe is like Torax's axe from... Was it one of Galactus's heralds? I mean, it's basically a human... I'm pretty sure it's like a human slang axe. So it does like an extra 2d12 against people. So this thing is really... And everything does 3d12 to start with. Like, no shit. I'm like, I'm never letting the players touch this fucking thing. <laughs> this is going to be a disaster. And he comes with, I believe, like, plus three plate mail. And I'm like, wow. Um, but, you know, they, they also he also comes with... Uh, tips on how not to uh outshine the players and i'm like mm, you know i we just think i already had a giant there like i would have played him as an npc but you know it's like hey how many you know giants do i need in this campaign as npcs who are actively in the party i mean also i think you know Erasmus became the half giant just before that campaign broke up. You had one session with him, I think. So mm -hmm. I think there's a, a, a certain amount of you wanting to get to play with this dude, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what as well, because that was, we actually met Erasmus. So if that's about the same time as you meet this uh, Hrotchnag or whatever his name is, Crotchface, uh, <laughs> Taserface, whatever. Uh, we were just, we just turned level five at the end of that session. If I go back to my notes. So we're level four party and you're meeting this like literally mythic level warrior frost giant guy. Well, this guy, I'm looking so at I don't know why now. he'd be our friend anyway. Like well, why would that guy have been our friend? You guys had similar goals and he was a good character. This guy come, imagine if I came into the game with a frost giant and I'm like, Hey, I'm a frost giant, by the way. Plus three full plate. Huh? Pretty cool. You know what I'm wearing? Some stuff you're never going to get. <laughs> you would have fallen hard into the... And by the way, you can't take it because it won't fit you. Nope. Yeah. You would have fallen hard into the ways exactly. not to do a DMPC. That would be one of them, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that falls right into, like, our old article. Like, how not to do that, you know? So, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's start yeah. by looking at this from the beginning. And we should say, if this is not obvious yet, we will be discussing spoilers for Storm King's Thunder throughout this episode. If you don't want to hear spoilers for Storm King's Thunder, you might want to come back when you're done it. Having said that, I think as we're about to discuss... We apologize for all the ones we just gave out. <laughs> right? I think, no, no, we didn't really get to the ending. We, did, we, we, didn't really, we haven't spoiled anything yet. However... I'm unclear on how much we're going to spoil for real because Tony, yeah. you reworked this module extensively. Now let's start from the beginning a little bit. When you started to decided to run storm King's thunder, when you opened the book, when you got into it, what did you, what were your initial impressions and how did you go about getting this ready to play? Um, I think I touched on this a little bit in a previous podcast, but uh, it's a very rich module. There's a lot of fantastic terrain 
NPCs, locations, like a lot going on in this module. Like you really can dig into the politics of it and the environment, or you can kind of like just go with the flow. One of my initial impressions, and this is the part I believe I mentioned before, is when I started this mod, there was really no way, at least that was given to bring the party together. And that immediately like made my record scratch. And I'm like, okay, I've been in this situation where I've just thrown all the guys together and it hasn't worked. It hasn't really assisted with the continuity. And that's where I did that whole, uh, I, I made my first ad-lib encounters where I had everyone meet in an inn prior to reading Reaching Nightstone. So you said that, was that another campaign where you'd had the players come together with no kind of meet cute? That's exactly right. And it was a mistake. I highly advise against it. And because it never really gelled. Like, what was the mistake about doing it that way? Um, exactly. I feel that in the opening game, and you guys can, you know, let me know if you think I'm off base here. Like, all the characters are kind of trying to feel out from the character they came to the game with and how it, that character is really playing out. Like, they're trying to get their, their role play legs, so to speak. Yeah. And just to toss you into the module and say, okay, go. Like, I dropped the puck on the ice. That kind of takes away from that organic character development. Yeah. So then when you came in here with Storm King's Thunder, like you said, so right off the bat, you put us in the inn, and then we had, did we just all get together at the inn, or was there a thing the that- Red River Inn. Nord was yeah. the barkeep there at the Red River Inn. That's Clearly, give yourself a DM inspiration for remembering that. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate it. Dude, that. I have all Nord? my notes. I have all my notes. I'm I came out to thank you during the acceptance speech at the end of the campaign from the bard character. <laughs> uh, I did my honorable mention shout-outs, yeah. Oh, that was epic, too. But let's not, I'll spo we won't spoil that. That's for the end. <laughs> well, Tony, real quick, with that, two points. Um, one, your first point when you were talking about how there's so much information and so so many possible quests and, and side quests and stuff within this adventure. From what I've heard of it, I haven't actually I've, – I've skimmed through it, you know, when I've been walking through Barnes & Noble kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. But in essence, it's, it's the adventure, but then it's also almost like a campaign setting guide as well, right? For kind of sure. like the Sword Coast and, and, and Forgotten Realms and all of this, yeah? So it's pretty exactly. massive in terms of uh, information. It is. And if your characters were going, were going to have the vibe where they're like, let's go explore while we're, you know, unraveling these mysteries, you can. Because there's yeah. all kinds of different factions we didn't get into and NPCs. And I like, because there were points where there were gaps between our games, I yeah. really wanted to try to stay focused on the key points. So yeah. I haven't looked closely at this module. Is this kind of a combination module and introduction to the Forgotten Realms? Like, is this the unofficial 5e Forgotten Realms adaptation? Mm. Well, I don't know if the Forgotten Realms uh, intro would be so giant heavy like this was, dare I say. <laughs> well, they do have, I mean, they do have an actual campaign guide for the Sword Coast, but this one just has so much information. But, Tony, a second point, too, with that, because you were talking about how there literally wasn't a way to put the characters together. There was no like, no no uh, linked up adventure hook in a way. So from my read of this and kind of the way it played out, at least because we hit the major points of it, this was the 5e's update of Against the Giants, right? The classic mm -hmm. 1e mod, right? Where those had been built initially for when they were doing the tournament play stuff. So it literally would start you start in front of the hill, the steading of the hill giant chief, 
go, right? So there wasn't a lot of back in the day, right? As you say, there wasn't as much necessarily why am why do I have to adventure, right? There wasn't this like deep seated need to know my my motive. Just fucking get in the dungeon, right? <laughs> <laughs> Those were some good times. Uh, there were they did create there was some provided hooks on why the players would be there. There just wasn't a reason to bring you together and make you function as a team. And throughout the game, as you've pointed out, I made efforts to encourage all of you. And Thorne was in a previous game where I did a sim at a similar take on that, but part of your journey was working more effectively together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I've been in some games where these guys, I couldn't go to, out and get a pizza and bring it back. Because they, they they would have beat up the delivery boy and brought home like some anchovies. I mean. Because that brings up the uh, one of the first magic items you introduced, which was the, uh, oh, what was it called? The Manual of Effective Teamwork or something to that extent. I think uh, it was oh, Zephros's, uh Zephros's guide. Yeah. So. Zephyrus took a much larger role in this story than he actually did in the book. I liked his character a lot. He came off as the wizened mentor figure, and I saw an opportunity there. Because especially when you meet Zephyrus in the book, you guys are like literally level three, I believe. If that. Yeah, if, if that. that. And you're and this is in the book. So you guys finish this module, this mini mod, where you save some people from Nightstone who escaped. They're in the dripping caves. You bring you defeat the goblins, you bring them back, and here comes this flying tower. Which I mean, really, I think you reacted to it as, as you should have, like like whole like beep, 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 this is all getting, you know, censored for TV. <laughs> well, here comes the tower. Thor, you made a good point there. That was kind of the first magical item. And you mentioned this, I think, in our last episode that um, uh, Storm King's Thunder has felt the most high magic fantasy of all of our current campaigns that we're running. And I think this was the first real hit of that was when we are, we saved Nightstone or whatever. And Tony, I'm going to guess this is some sort of like mini get them up to level three kind of thing the way like death house is for instance the first whole chapter or so really puts you on the level train like like really it's like hey you got like you know typically when you're in a campaign this is my experience level one maybe you level up the first game sometimes it's in two games but really you don't spend that long as level one well over here you don't spend long in the first tier and, of course, that's because the real meat of this module is in the later levels. Like, you can't go mess with the Giants if you're, you know, you're level two. Level two, yeah. And, so with that, that was the first thing, though, Thor. I was just finishing the, the point with the magical item. That was because we save Nightstone, and what happens? This fucking castle on a cloud rolls up on the Nightstone. It's like, oh, my God, it seemed like it was all out of, almost out of the blue, literally. And that's where I think was the first thing to be like, this is high magic. This is, you know, this is flying castles and airships and all. And just to uh, clarify, the book was called Zephyrus's Guide to Turning Your Party into Tactical Brilliance, uh, which I'm guessing, uh, Tony, is not does not appear in this uh, book. <laughs> Amazingly not, no. Um, as you, I think you have, as other players have pointed out to me, one of the hallmarks of my DMing is I like to, as we talked about, you know, have the characters develop themselves and how they work together. And I also like to 
power the players up at times in certain key ways to make them feel like they're a little bit more powerful above the curve than they should be with magical empowerments or items or training or knowledge or something along that line. But this gives me an opportunity to do them both at the same time. It's like, hey, guys, work together better as a team, and here's your reward. Yeah. And what this one did was basically if we each did – so you had different chapters. And when we started the chapter, everyone would have to do a thing, like complete – a minimum DC role on an ability they weren't proficient in. And if everyone did it, everyone got a reward, which was generally like a plus one to an ability score. Uh, it was um, a plus one to a non-proficiency plus one to a certain, to a skill of your choice. It was things that basically brought up. Now your philosophy on this, if I remember correctly, was you were bringing up the lower stats for us, right? So like they weren't usually letting us up like our prime rec, but it was the other stuff. Because in 5e, and some DMs are going to hate on me for this, that's kind of harmless. So, for example, if my Barbarian suddenly got 18 Intelligence, would that affect our game I'm in with Instrad? Absolutely not. What's he going to do? Out of the blue, make a raw Arcana check? He's never going to have the proficiency. He's never going to be, like, expounding on why Abjuration is, is the bomb. Those things that aren't tied into your Prime Rex and with proficiency... What it really is doing is, in essence, is kind of padding your weaknesses. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. So maybe your intelligence save, maybe your charisma save won't be so crappy now. Because that's really something in 5e, it, it's very gingerly allowed. All of those most powerful magics allow those things. Tony, with that, if I could ask something because of that, um, because I, you, I think you did a little, uh, like a lot of that in a, in a way, even up to before the game even started, uh, I remember you massaging some of my ability scores because when you saw them, because I was, like I said, I was role-playing the whole con as a dump stat thing. And you were like, oh. yeah, so <laughs> about your decks, how, what do you feel, would you be okay if you upped your decks maybe kind of, you know? So you were, you were reaching a point where you wanted to have a level because you knew the dangers that were involved. Now, I'm guessing that was just because of your past experience with, with players and how it kind of turned poorly. Um, well, yeah, and I think that, first of all, I really, one of the things I don't, I dislike strongly about SDM is interplayer jealousy. And I wish I could tell you that's never happened once or twice or nine times, but it happens. And one of the things that triggers this is when you have a player who's got a level one with a 19 stat, and that guy, next guy has got like a 14 stat, and that's their highest. And when you're rolling dice and not using an array, this is the kind of shit that happens, folks. It, it's just D&D. &D. This, this is what happens. And people, if you, if you roll with that, you got to give these other players uh, an opportunity somewhere to offset this. Just so they're not endlessly playing second fiddle. So Amber rolled like atomic fire dice when she made Jake's, made Jacob. And I'm looking at this guy, and he's got, like, a freaking 19 con, an 18 strength, <laughs> a 17 dex. And I'm looking at you, and you're like, yeah, so I'm, I got, a uh, like, a 7 con and, like, an 11 dex. And I'm like, no, this guy's going to get freaking killed by a giant rock. I'm like, no. But I was very charismatic. <laughs> well, that you can't stop the rock out of hitting you. I mean. <laughs> uh, so I felt a little bit of balancing absolutely uh, – was uh, justified. And so that's, I mean, now that is probably a something that's a little bit controversial, I think, among uh, a lot of DMs. I mean, uh, many people play it as just like play the stats where they where they land. You take a much more 
balanced hand to it. And, and is that fair to say? Like, like where do you feel like that's important? I think that's really important because first of all, I, I want everybody to play the character they want to play. Not, I mean, like we talk about how important it is to play whatever conceptualized idea you have, race or, or class or background. But like, I don't want you to then, like you see these memes where it's like this idea, you have this great character concept, like this Witcher-like character, and he's like built like Mr. Bean. You know, it's not going to work. <laughs> and or maybe it could work just in a different way, but the players got to want to go with that. And if they're looking for a character who kicks ass and takes names, they're not going to do that with a 13 strength if they're a martial character. <laughs> And we can put this in some perspective. I've got my character sheet in front of me here. So Zhang, who wound up Shogun Zhang, as far as I was concerned, at the end of the end, oh, yeah. thing, that's another thing. Yeah. So he ended with a 22 strength, a 22 dex, and 18 constitution. Now, coming in, Zhang had like a 17 in strength and 17 in dex. Like I was able to work that out where he was a fighter who was also equally high in dexterity. There was a whole tension, the whole game between should he be in plate mail or, or, or light armor. So that, but it still built significantly from there and just not just with ASIs, but with gifts, with boons that you gave out. Constitution, same way. My constitution is an 18 at the end of the game. My intelligence is a 12. My wisdom's a 14. My charisma's a 14. So by the end of the game, I've got two 22s and 18, two 14s and a 12. Really no no truly weak stats. Like, like the intelligence is only a plus one. That's my weakest stat at level 11 that is super high and that's about what where i was expecting i mean because also erasmus came into the game he came into that game when you were level four or five he had a 21 strength yeah so i also had to keep that in mind too i think erasmus came into that game as a wizard who was also half storm giant or whatever percentage storm giant you want to assign to him he had like a 21 strength and like a 19 con so this and he, and we transformed through a storm giant. He actually got bonus hit points too. So I, I would call was, I would call Erasmus a storm giant infusion, almost like a storm giant tea, like ooh. like a home like a home blended tea of storm Some giant sort of tincture, like a exactly tincture. yes a tincture nice. of storm giant is what Erasmus yes. was by the end. But <laughs> with that in mind, and this is because I guarantee you, there's listeners that are like, holy mother of f. Dude, what are you thinking? These guys' ability scores were, are nuts. You're a maniac. Well, here's the thing. I wanted to play my NPC who had these crazy stats. And how do you make that okay? You share that with everybody else. On top of that, we never felt unhittable. Like, we got hit a lot. <laughs> oh, if, you're, if you're running around, you're like, I can't challenge my players. Well, it, it's like that old joke. You know, you want to prove your golf score? Get a pencil with an eraser. I mean, like, Zhang spent, so our, our, our penultimate battle, the second to last battle was with the blue dragon. And Zhang spent almost that entire battle cowering due to its fear effect because I couldn't make the wisdom save. Yeah. Even with the yeah. plus two. Because, okay, the total was plus three on that save because he has a ring of protection plus one. Like, even with the plus three, that, like, I think I needed to roll an 18 or 19. Wasn't, it was hard to do. Didn't help that I rolled below a 10 on eight out of 10 straight rolls. I mean. Yeah. And also, like, with Roderick, my bard, I mean, I had played that, I had an eight constitution for several levels I played that out until, and I was taking that minus one on hit points and all this shit, until we got to the stone giant layer, and then Tony worked in, uh, probably because at that point we were leveled up, and then we were in the adventure, and we were becoming heroes and blood. So he built in some mechanics that started to bring my constitution up in that way, but we still had to play it. But I also wasn't running into the fray. I was playing it very much like I had, you know, 60 hit points at like level 10. 
So, you know, like, okay, like I that saw one hit that I took from the Kraken. It was almost yeah. One hit from almost put me completely out. I was almost completely dead. Like, so, yeah. It's... All right, but I don't want to spoil the ending because people are like, oh, my God, you guys fought the Kraken? What are you insane? All right, we're getting that to the end of the I think story. we're here to spoil the ending. I think we're, yeah. we're going to get to that. We have warned you there are spoilers. So, you know, although, although we've also warned you, and as you can see, Tony did not do this by the book. So... <laughs> We may also you know, manage your expectations. Yeah, this may not be the way your DM is running Storm King Slender. All the so NPCs. Let's get, let's get into that. Let's see. How much did you change? What did we change? Yeah. Okay. I guess the biggest question, Tony, how much did you change? Can you put a percentage on it? Well, this is going to kind of disappoint you. I think I really only changed 30% of it. But if I changed 30% of your DNA, what would you look like? You'd look like a sponge. I mean... To be honest, that's past banana. I mean, yeah. we're, we're closer to bananas than 30%, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, that's just because like... Because I percent. kept the... Mass, <laughs> <You're about far. laughs> I kept all the core NPCs, and I kept the core plots. Those were all true. I used all the actual maps... But I added some maps, and I'm sure you could see some of those things too. Like I took you on some side quests, where I felt <laughs> some of the some of the adventures were a little hot, and I'm like, you know what? Do I really want to send these guys to fight the fire giants? One of the biggest things I changed was we discussed this was you were only supposed to go to one of the giants' lairs, then you find the cock shell, which would then takes you to the maelstrom, and that blew my mind. They did a masterful job in this module of designing each of the perspective giants' layers in great depth. And then to say that, yeah, you're not going to go to any of these, that just did not work for me. I felt like that that really needed to be – you need so, a full giant preview there. Now, this made a huge difference, though, because while you didn't add this stuff, this meant that our version of this probably went at least twice as long as it needed to, maybe three times as long. What would that adventure path have looked like? We basically, we find out there's a problem. We meet Zephyros. We find out there's a problem. We investigate it a little bit. We go to one giant lair and get their, get the conch from that lair and use that to go to the maelstrom. And then what? We get, like, just so stopped at the maelstrom? Or, I mean, you're like, we just beat the hill giants at level six, and now we're fighting the storm giant citadel. Well, like, that's That's insanity. a big jump. That's like, that's you like double SCR. Just you a bit. You would have gone to the, um, you would have started the module in Nightstone. You would have rescued the villagers. You would have fought off the orcs, met Zephros, no, had to do that whole thing with this right. in there. You know, you, you would have done all your chapter one stuff, but then, yes, you would have gone and confronted one of these giant clans. You would have done a lot of exploration. This is where this would have changed. The giant clan wasn't, you know, two blocks away. Wherever you were going, there was going to be some real travel, and this is where I would have changed the style. I would have played it a lot more like Dave is playing Curse of Strahd, where okay. I would have let you said, here's a map, you're going through it, and I kind of control your movement more than Dave does. Dave really lets you say, okay, you want to explore and I'm moving you around the map and you can take your time to do that and really feel out your environment. There's times in, in one of the Curse of Strahd games where we honestly could spend the whole session in three rooms. Now, a lot could happen. I mean, we could investigate an NPC and get some really killer information or have a massive battle, but it's not like where I'm conducting it, where I'm like, I've got like nine scenes set up. 
And in my mind, I'm like, we're going to scene one, and I want to end at scene nine, and I've got all these maps, and sometimes i got to cut some time out of some of these other scenes. Well, Tony, with that said, so you have – so you made the, the comparison to Strahd, and, you know, you guys have the map. You kind of go around at your pace, however you want to go, because you could end up at Ravenloft, like, when you're level two, or you could be level 11, right? Whichever. Um, but, but there's – there's impetus for that, right? I mean, not to get too deep into it, but obviously you're looking for certain artifacts that are scattered throughout Barovia to your knowledge. So it kind of gives an incentive for the players to go and explore before going after, let's say, you know, the Maelstrom in Storm King. So what would have been the the incentive with that, the, the impetus? Would it have been like those runes that we had to go and find to, in essence, shut down the thing? Or was that completely your invention as well? Uh, there were there are giant runes. You could have found giant magic and explored uh, a, a, as you explored the environment and the terrain. It wasn't as pronounced or personal as the gift items I gave each of you specifically, where I said Zhang is going to find an item that's tied to his backstory in the Elemental Fire, uh, you found your uh, your uh, loot of secrets. Yep. Everybody had something. I wanted to kind of give them the, and I've had a good success with this in the past, where I give the air quotes a custom magical item to a player. I enjoy doing that as a DM. That's fun for me. <laughs> and that is really, because, you know, it's funny, because, Dave, when you said what was the impetus to adventure around, well, you could say yeah. it was we knew there was one of these legendary items with each of the giant clan leaders. Except that was not in the book. That was a, that was Tony's homebrew. Right. You you created incentive, which is awesome. But like, what's the incentive if you're just running? If I'm just wanna, I want to crack open SKT and I want to run it. What's the impetus from going to the steading of the hill giant chief and then getting my ass handed to me by, uh, you know, count the countess at the maelstrom, you know? Um, oh, the Countess was actually the uh, Cloud Giant uh, leader. Oh, that's yeah, but, that's, that's right. But, uh, Princess the Maelstrom. Princess, sorry. Yeah, she. Um, I also ran that differently as I suggested. Um, but we'll get to that as we get towards the end of the story. So I so mean, of what, course, what was ahead. supposed to happen there? Like, so we show up at this at the at the Storm Giant Citadel. In what was supposed to happen if we show up there as a bunch of like level five characters trying to resolve this? What happens then? Other well, than okay, other than that, we're beaten to there death. There are other there are other things that would have taken place. You would have other than beaten to death. <laughs> yeah. Well, now hear me. This is interesting. You would have spent more time exploring the terrain, getting to the the giant clan hall, defeating that giant, and then moving on. You probably I have to look at the book. I think you would have arrived at the maelstrom probably around level eight or nine. Now, okay. here's, here's, the, here's the real difference. The Princess Sarissa was still in charge. I had kind of, in the core, in the actual module, that's just something I changed. She was She's in charge. One, right? She was the youngest one who was put on the throne by the king. Okay. Um, and her two sisters were running around doing evil deeds She's completely, um, maybe she's aware of it, maybe she's not. The the blue dragon is in the court influencing everyone. Maybe she has suspicions, maybe she doesn't. But really, that would have been a very, I think how it played out is how it should have been handled. Because it would be very roleplay heavy. You're not punching your way. I mean, I'm sorry. You think your party's badass? 
fight <laughs> for Storm Giants. Ordinary Storm Giants. St- you know, bring it. Seriously. You I know? will say, while I while I we did miss out uh fighting like truly fighting the Storm Giants, uh just because of the way in which it uh it happened. We did get like the the I was like we were at the Olive Garden with the tour of Italy. We got we fought every possible giant in, <laughs> in, like in the whole Forgotten Realms. Like we hill giants, frost giants, cloud giants, fire giants. You know, quickly we fought them quickly. Yeah. It was like yeah, it was it, like session two, go three, go. It, it go. was it, this was how Americans do a European tour. <laughs> We did. We did one day in each country. One day, you know, one day in London, one day in Paris, one day in Rome, so one day in, we, on a Spanish. We were just team. at Epcot Ooh, oh. Center. We never actually went to Europe. We just went to Epcot. That's yeah. all we did. <laughs> it's it, sometimes I guess it could feel that way. You know, it's kind of we did we did the Epcot tour of worlds, but you know, it's it was a different style, and this is really yeah. what we talk about here, which is the different ways you can approach things. Because rather than you know the players kind of meandering their way along and getting there the way that 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 we would have found our way there ourselves, Tony really was like, "All right, so this is you know I'm I'm writing a movie. Here's how our scenes are going to go tonight, and yeah, you guys can do something different. You're not going to, <laughs> you know. There's the a lot of the illusion of choice without a total without without real choice behind it. Well, see, it's tricky. And actually, I want to circle back to something really fast with the custom magical mm-hmm. items. At one point in the campaign, I kind of made a mistake where a player said to me, hey, and actually I think it was you, Thorne. Probably. Like, hey, I want a custom magic item to start my character, like, you know, in my, my character backstory. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I can't. I already gave somebody a custom magical item. Like, I can't have, like, this was, this was early in the game, too. Like, this is like, you know, her father's sword or something like that. And it <laughs> wouldn't have been, and it wouldn't have been, like, you know, Excalibur, but it would have grown in power with you. And someone already had that idea, and I felt it was cheesy to give somebody that also and then they would have diminished what she had but the thing is then i'm like well wait a minute so what if everybody had those just not to start with like you know this is this is your character motivation and it kind of each one of those items in a manner of speaking transformed those characters and made them they kind of brought them into a little bit more of a superhero light which some dms will disagree with me i really believe your characters are superheroes or anti-heroes, or straight-up villains, but you're you're one of the three. <laughs> so the, we're definitely um, overpowered. We're uh, we are not your average bears. Yeah, we were definitely very very highly powered. But as we found out, even with that, uh, you know, you still run headlong into a brick wall sometimes. Yeah. But in the adventure itself, Tony, these this idea of these these artifact items, let's call them, does not exist. This is completely homebrewed stuff. On your end, yes. One hundred percent, yes. And that you, and then you place them with the different uh, giant clans, which then gave us the incentive of. Because once we went to the hill giant, we saw there was this this magical item that just happened to be the right, one right, around the around her neck. Yeah, it was around. Yeah. Around the hill giant chieftain's neck was a. And then we started to. Yeah, and then we started to get this idea that oh, there's these other artifacts that we can get and that kind of created that incentive for us to then jet set around to the different clans and not investigate uh water deep or go down to brinshandar again or any of the other towns right the, the way they introduced some of these splashes really pulled my hair out like maybe we grab my hair with two hands and want to pull they're like yeah 
So it's just like around the time you're in Bryn Shandar. They're like, yeah, you can go talk to this guy and they complete this quest. Then you can go to Waterdeep and you meet this guy in this other inn in Waterdeep and you find this mage. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Where on the map am I? Where the F is Waterdeep? Where's the map for this? Dude, Waterdeep is literally the biggest fucking map of a city I have ever seen in my life. Right? It's insanity. So, like, I just can't just have you pop on in there like you're going to, like, you know, Bill's Corner Store. Like, you're going to go to an Inn in Waterdeep. That's, like, a whole thing that I'm now exposing. And then I have to bring you back from Waterdeep. And at the time, you guys didn't have magical travel. You were, like, level five, maybe six. So... Great, you're going to, what, to complete the side quest, you're going to hop on a ship or take horses or something, and it would have been a whole perilous journey, dare I say, to complete the side quest, and you would have gotten, like, one magical item for doing this. Okay, all right. And, like, so you would have, as a DM, the DM experience there is, okay, so if you're going to introduce this idea, you now have to build yourself an entire Waterdeep travel side quest. There were some elements there to assist it, but there was a lot, a lot of blanks you would have had to fill in. That mm. felt much more like here's an idea, it's not a plan. No, so if your choice is, I can go explore all of these giant holds, or I can go, which it came in the book that I paid for, or I can go <laughs> make up my own side quest that I got to make the map for myself. I mean, it's a pretty easy choice which one you'd rather do. I have to tell you, the magic that was dispersed in this game was without saying it was much lower than yeah. how I did it. And your party, I think I may have mentioned this before, wouldn't have even seen any magical items until the frost giants had, you've already repelled the frost oh. giant attack from Bryn Shandar. Guess what would have happened if DM Dave was running Storm King? <laughs> you guys still be waiting for some magic items. <laughs> our, our, our trip to I don't know guys, the book hasn't, the book hasn't allowed it yet, guys. I'm sorry. Our trip to Barovia has been has been very light on souvenirs. I'll say that. But Tony, with that, like for instance, Waterdeep, because I know that's a big part of it for because I've seen some people posting online and stuff about it. Are there side quests built into that already within the mod itself, or are they, as Thorne was saying, do you literally have to start creating them almost out of whole cloth? Uh, some of them required a little bit. Uh, here's the thing: some of them gave you details surrounding them. Like, for example, I think I mentioned in, I, I did something very different. All right, we're getting over 30% that I changed. Now I'm thinking this out loud. So when you're in French and Dar, there's a scenario which I refuse to run, where basically you show up and for no reason I can really determine, you're assigned an NPC. Like this guy walks up and goes, hey, I'm your buddy. And then <laughs> five minutes later, all of, I'm making, I'm making light of this. This isn't exactly how it happens, but it's better this way. So like five minutes later, the giants are attacking the city. Like, you know, it's like a monster movie. They're throwing friggin' rocks at the sides of the friggin' walls. And you have to try to keep these people alive. And if you do, it opens up side quests. Okay. So that's your motivation to keep these people alive. As if you didn't care about their immortal souls in the first place, you wanted to protect this random person who's now your friend. But I read this and I'm like, why? in the love of God, like, how would I work this into the story? Like, here's some NPCs that, like, you're all, you're all buddies now, like, you're, for the moment, and now you're gonna, gonna run around with, you're gonna be playing two characters. And especially all with how, especially with how we ran a lot of our encounters where we were not the most trusting of individuals as no. we rolled into these places, right? As well, we talked about with the, uh, with the Ice King troll, you know, which we, that was, supposedly, that was completely made up, right? 
Oh yeah, no, King Tractor yeah, okay. is one of my. So yeah, like we didn't trust him. I don't see why we trust this frost giant rolling up with a magical battle axe like he's Thor. Oh, he's, <laughs> what, what? What? Why don't you look at this guy? He's got an axe that does three d twelve. Oh, if you're a human, it does like an extra two d twelve. Oh, you yeah, know? and he also has this magical plate armor, and he's like, hey, I want to be your friend, guys. Yeah, I want to hang out with you. I won't, I won't, you know, uh, outshine the fighter. Honest, by the way, I have a legendary resistance. <laughs> wow. I mean, it was like, I also don't know, like, why would we protect those people? And maybe just out of the kindness of our heart. I guess it's like a video game type thing, right? We give you some, we, we, like in Fallout or in Skyrim, you meet these NPCs. If you do their quest, you kind of get to find out more about them and you get some stuff. And you would do it for completion's sake. You would do it for depth of the world. I don't love that style for an RPG because I feel like, at least the ones we're playing in, the characters are much more driven to complete their quest. So you're not like coming in looking for every side quest to do on a tabletop RPG like you would in a Skyrim. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're coming into, okay, now my character's got stuff to do. I want to go do it. And I think that's, you know, it makes it hard to do the whole, well, here's your random side quest you can choose to go explore. Now, I did read this months upon months ago, so maybe I'm missing some details on this. But also, then again, I'm introdu introducing these NPCs can go one of two ways. One, you're like, yeah, you've added good flavor and depth to your, your, your campaign world which is what they were intending. Or I just entered and I put some more NPCs on the table that are now going to get lost in the background somewhere. It's like that person you met once and you're never going to talk to again. And it kind of goes with the style you approach this with, right? Like you really did approach this with a on schedule kind of keeping this moving, keeping this train on schedule approach to running the game. Like it was, you knew where you wanted us to go. You knew what you wanted us to do. There were a couple choices, but mostly it was, you guys got to go here to do the next thing, get on your airship, you go there. Travel wasn't really an issue except for a couple times we had to climb some mountains. Um, we didn't have a ton of choices. We didn't have a ton of time to go kind of get lost with Chuck and make sure his kids were okay or whatever the problem, whatever the question <laughs> was. I think at one point we did actually tell a, a ghost widow that he was dead. Is the haunted bar in the, nope, in the that was me too. Uh, we're getting to like 45%. I changed. Uh, all right. So I kind of threw that in there too. Actually, that reminds me. I also kind of raised an eyebrow and I, I think I said this in the earlier podcast too. When you finished like the first real chapter and you've stay you've saved Nightstone and you could basically go to three different major cities on this map, like <laughs> Tribor, Golden Fields, or Brinchendar. And the motivations for this really left me scratching my head. They're like, oh, you know, Bob died. If you want to tell Bob's family that Bob died, go to this city. I'm like, and I'm thinking as and I always try to think as a player. And like if I was a player and my DM tried to sell me this. I'm like, I'm a fifth level fighter. Do I care? Like, <laughs> go ahead, Dave. No, Tony, with that, that's a good, I think that's a good segue for this because so some of the magical items that you did, the legendary items that we kind of finally, you you ended with, um, came, the initial impetus was one of the characters, I'm guessing Amber's character, Jacob, mm -hmm. uh, had within the backstory, this idea of this legendary artifact as part of their Jacob character. Jacob did get Mjolnir mm -hmm. by the end. It was, yeah. it was Thor's yeah. hammer. Thor's um, now I felt like that first brand was assaulted, but someone else got Thor's hammer. So, in the happened. same way, does the, you know, go tell Bob's family that he's died or something, are some of those hooks in that way, are they 
in essence, meant to be pulled into characters' backstories because we're from this world. So somebody might know this person or they might be some sort of, is it a way to hook backstories? And then with that, what did you do? Like we, we were kind of jumping around here, but what did you do to like hook all of us in? Because we all brought you very distinct characters for this type of adventure. You know, so a couple well, of points there. Okay. So you could have hooked these things into people's backstories as far as the motivations to go to one of these three cities, but that I don't believe that was really an idea that the book threw at you, as I recall, at least. Um, I feel like I'm giving a legal disposition as far as, like, you know, by my best recollection. Uh, <laughs> but a lot you of the characters... You cannot the fifth on three wise DMs. There's yeah. no, there's no <laughs> Just, the fifth here. You got to say something, even if you're pulling it out of your ass. You got to say something. But some players, you know, I, I felt like they had a pretty good idea of where they had been. And when you do that, that lets me kind of throw some trails of where you can go, dare I say. Mm -hmm. um, to touch on real fast, we talked about the legendary items. All of those were actually a lot of fun to make because I followed the formula I wrote an article on a bit ago. I basically deconstructed a magical item existing one and reconstructed it precisely as what I wanted it to be. Like I pulled its molecules apart. So I said, okay, hmm, you know, the sorceress likes, a, she uses a trident. So <laughs> no, I wouldn't give her a staff of power, but I'd give her a trident and I'd give it charges and I'd let you some cold powers that operate on the same formula. Right, right. So, and I guess let's delve into that a little more because the backstory was that there had been your backstory, at least, was that on this world, there had originally been kind of uh, uh, wars against evil where like the, the giants had been on the good side with the with the good aligned gods. And they were all like the humans and elves that had like a coalition and all the races had fought against the evil. And part of that was there were these great artifacts and these legendary artifacts were now given to the giant clans for safekeeping until we came along and stole them. I mean, they were, they were really given to the giant clans in safekeeping until this particular set of characters comes up and kills you and takes it off your neck. Which we is literally, we <laughs> literally were, we literally were Steppenwolf taking the mother boxes. Like we were just rolling up. Like, no, they're not, no more safekeeping. They're ours now. So, I mean, is that like, like, how'd you come up with that? And there's nothing like that in the core module, right? No, we're getting to like 50%. Like we're approaching critical mass and how much I've changed. <laughs> I'm, I really want to second and third I, guess I that like, number. Do we, need to do we need to run a buy the book Storm King Thunder just so we can understand <laughs> what Tony did here? Oh, uh, you'd be like, wow, man. Like what, whatever you smoked before we ran this, like keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> we'll have a buzzer sound for any time something seems familiar. <laughs> that, but, that button would have some dust on it uh, but I wanted to introduce these items but I feel a mythical item needs a tied into the mythology kind of backstory for its existence like why is there, there a unique thunderbolt floating around this universe why is there a unique magical hammer or a, katana, a flame katana um and that kind of adds to the mystique of these things. I, yeah. I feel like the fl some flavor and some background adds to it in ways that just throwing some pluses on an item doesn't. And, and for reference, so here is what Zhang, Zhang Fei, the uh, bugbear uh, battlemaster, sort of a samurai theme got. 
He got the Red Dragon Katana, which because he's a polearm fighter, we wound up treating treating as a Nodachi that we said basically was effectively a glaive. There's a way we effectively treated this as a glaive in game as far as reach goes and using polearm master. But the the sword itself is a plus two uh, katana. Uh, inflicts 1d10 melee damage, has reached 10 because because of what Zhang was built to, like, built to work with pole arms. Uh, also, while you have it, all attacks, all physical and spell attacks will inflict an additional 1d6 fire damage that ignores fire resistance. It came with it. It also got 20 charges. Uh, those charges could be used to cast Burning Hands, uh, Agnazar's Scorcher, Fireball, up to twice per day, Fire Shield once per day, Conjure Fire Elemental twice per day. And the one that I loved the most, because, you know, what a Battlemaster really wants is a wall spell, was Wall of Fire once yeah. per day. Yeah. And now also, also, uh, you specifically said, okay, recharges 2d8 plus 4 charges every morning. However, if you go to zero charges, there's no risk of it blowing up it's or exploding. destroying. Yeah. I don't so think any of them had that. That's a pretty epic didn't. item. I mean, yeah, and they were all, you, you basically made sure none of them could actually run out of charges. Like, they would not break if they ran down. Well, I'd feel it'd be really weak if Thor's hammer, like, disintegrated because he threw that last lightning bolt. <laughs> like, oh, Molnir turned to dust in my hands. But really, if you can guess, I used, it was basically a staff of power. I ripped the molecules out of, and I put it back together. I gave you a level-appropriate yeah. weapon. I let it do one um, damage die higher. Uh, if you think about it, like D people are like, oh my god, you maniac, it does extra D6. So periodically it's doing three more points of fire damage. Well, Staff That's of Power does that too. Staff of Power, when you use it to strike, I think it does extra damage, doesn't it? It does. It's force damage, I believe. So <laughs> and, and, then you gave it has one <laughs> and you gave it a theme. You gave it the fire yeah. theme, right? Yeah. So it actually, it was a weapon that his character can use. I wouldn't say, hey, you built your whole character around being around a polar master, so here's a sword. You can't do any of that stuff anymore. Just forget about it. Or don't use your magic item. I don't care. Put so, it back. We, so you homebrewed out the legendary artifacts, which definitely gave us the incentive to do the tour of Italy, right? Um, to go to Epcot Center. Um, but uh, so one of the big fetch quests we had was uh, because – uh, Roderick with the curse and stuff, and you started to play into that, and the the party overall seemed to kind of latch onto it a little bit, or at least say, look, well, let's not let the guy just die. Let's try to do something about that. And one of the things was finding this ring of eternal winter. Was that a magical item that was in the module itself that then you just like retconned for our use, or was that again a homebrew? That actually is a legit magic item. That is in there. Okay. That is an in-the-module item, and it's extremely hard to find. Now, where I put it was different than where it was in the module. Um, right. So the, 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 the half-deity uh, frost giant with the, the dragon space jammer, cell jammer ship doesn't uh, roll up on you in Chapter 6 or something? No, surprisingly not. Uh, you okay. will not get into an epic spell jammer race with a... Uh, half deity frost giants uh, on this course that I arranged while all the other players were doing skill checks, working together to maneuver their ships through the ice, down through the water, up and around the canyon, kind of like doing pod racing with spell jamming ships. <laughs> no, that didn't actually happen. Where where would you find that uh, that is now when you gave it to me with the with the powers it had, which was in essence uh, 
all uh, all winter ice type powers. So cone of cold, wall of ice, uh, flesh to ice, which is like a flesh to stone type of thing, uh, decreasing the ambient temperature. Were those part of what the ring does, or did you also add to that? No, I that I was what it does. I think that is a straight book item. Okay. And for me, that kind of set the tone of this kind of magic exists in even the book world. Right. Now, I mean, sure, it's an evil ring. However, one of the things it, I believe in its wrap, it literally stops you from aging. Now, for everyone who doesn't remember, Roderick was dying because of a curse. So... Dare I say, this put the problem on ice. Oh, that's so funny. So it's literally like the, uh, so the module is literally, because I know I've done this with, with Scott, where you're reading through the the printed material and you go, oh my God, this is literally this person's backstory. And it, so, it just gave it to you. So, I mean, there was, I wanted there to be, I know it was a late reveal in the game on the nature of your curse and where it came from, but... I felt with since this is something that you came up with, this is something that you wanted to run with. That there should be multiple ways that it could be broken. Now, your sister, Bonnie, in the game, literally titled herself the Curse Breaker. So I felt she was like contractually obligated to break your curse. I just threw in there as a sunny little detail that she'd have to sacrifice her life to do that, at least right. in one of the ways that she could break the curse. Holy. She didn't though, did she? Nope, totally just, did not. Break. Not to this, yeah, not at, not to where we are now. Yeah, you just put the ring on, and you're sticking with the ring for the time being. That's in essence where I ended. Was I placed the ring on at the during the very final battle because it was like a last ditch effort kind of a thing, you know? So when I put well, on the one ring. <laughs> as we're going through all of this, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, so if you're listening, and I hope you've stuck with us because we've covered a lot of good stuff, but I'm like, man, this is just like a blast of. Here's stuff we did semi out of context. So I'm thinking, why don't we try to approach the rest of this like this? And you guys tell me if you're okay with this. Let's go chapter by chapter and just kind of quickly go through kind of Tony, maybe just touch on how you approached it or how you, how you tweaked it. Um, and then we'll wrap for this session and we'll come back next, next episode and talk about the character specific stuff. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Okay. All right. So trying to, pull together a little bit because i really want you know, i want our listeners to be able to come out of this with some good takeaways as far as if they're looking to run storm king slender or considering whether or not they should buy it to understand what it is and then what tony did and and tony i gotta say at this point i think you need to write up at least these magic items in the article yeah i thought you were gonna say i really need to seek professional help well, isn't this isn't that what we're doing here? Isn't this kind of aren't we kind of crowdsourcing professional help? Yeah, this is the a addiction? cheaper method. This is just a cheaper option. That's all. So, kind of trying to buzz through this a little bit. First chapter, Nightstone. We show up. We help the villagers. We have an epic fight with the orcs. We go deal with the goblins, and that's pretty much it, right? I mean, that you played that pretty much straight up, didn't you? Well, one of the things I kept the beginning of this module, I kept very on the table once I got everybody together. The scene basically goes something to the effect of you've, you're a new team, you've ba you barely know each other, you're strangers, you're not even really a team yet, and you happen to roll into Nightstone, and one of like the theatrical things I like is when there's that sharp, shocking moment with very little foreshadowing. So mm. the players walk up to Nightstone, they're expecting this nice, central community, it's prosperous, there's opportunity, and you get there and the place is trashed. 
The Cloud Giants showed up. They stole the Nightstone out of the town square. And the Cloud Giants chopped literally 500-pound rocks on all kinds of key points in this town. The town guard are scattered. The leader is dead. You discover as you're in. And there's and later, goblins have come and over on this place. So basically, this is, this is you coming in, almost doing a, like a light, like a trying to a exploration or a discovery of like what the hell happened here and i and i felt that actually that was that was a good opportunity for you guys to try it was those encounters were actually really well based basically you were going to run into about two goblins at a time so a low threat you guys don't really know how to play your characters super you're not familiar with them you you're not a lot of hit points so you know you get to flex your muscles win a couple of battles um and explore this mystery and see what happened so we, and then during this, we did hit, like we hit Nightstone, we hit the Dripping Caves, we got the goblins back, and then, and then there are some other, I'm not sure if we hit, did we hit every encounter in that, in basically the beginning? Uh, there was two more very key encounters in that section. The first is, okay, so when you finish Nightstone, you clear the goblins, you discover that the lady has been killed in the attack. Yeah. Uh, and then you set off to the Drifting Caves and you want to recover the villagers who are there. And basically it's a rescue mission. So this is basically where you as a party decide, you're like, you know what? This place is trashed. These people are in danger. There's survivors. We can probably save them if we act now. And you head out there. You don't know what to expect. You go into the caves. You go into the goblins' home turf, and you kick some ass. They're not super well organized, and you have an opportunity to recover a nice chunk of the, the villagers. So this isn't as severe as a tragedy as it was presented in the story. And then at that point, this is where we had quote Morax quest, which would have been the Bryn Shandar quest, the Golden Fields quest, the Tribor quest. You basically just took us to Bryn Shandar, right? Uh, at this point, then, well, hang on. At that point, then there was the encounter with the orcs, oh, which right. was yes. So basically, where you defended the town from the orc attack, which was pretty epic. That was for a low-level battle where you're only levels like two or three. That was a very intense battle with a lot of, there's a lot of bandwidth being used. Like there's a lot of, you know, players on the uh, field, so to speak. <laughs> but the book's basically like, if you guys defend the town from this attack, yeah, give them a level. I'm like, okay. Yeah, we were level two. We went to level three that at the end of that session. Yeah, exactly. And that's when Zephros appears then. I thought that, I thought that was before the Goblin Caves. It would be a little no, it was. The orcs came... We kind of dealt with that, and then we headed out to the Drivian Oh, Caves. that's right. Yes, thank you. And yes. you got that's where you you lied yourself with the Zenterum. You got mm -hmm. like a little bit of a preview with them. They they stuck to their word and assisted because you know, a what are your options? You know, there's <laughs> like uh, there's like you know more than five works outside this town. Like there's a whole gaggle of them. So we went through the works, we went through the goblins, then we meet Zephros, and we did skip the other. Like we went to Bryn Shandar, was where we were heading next. And we skipped like these other kind of potential like go find this guy kind of quest that you were talking about. Morax quest, I think. Well, in the in the adventure where you're traveling, they had set up some at this point, I think you were level three or four and they had set up some quests to bring you to the next level. And I didn't like the flavor of them. Just yeah. personally, it was like basically some dwarves show up, they land on the tower, they think you're up to no good, you have to talk them out of attacking. Then these other guys show up and they're like, eh, yes, we're evil cultists, and you kick their ass. And <coughs> that was basically a level. Like you <laughs> run into like some Yangtze bin cultists and... There was an encounter where you could have met a silver dragon, but with the dwarves. But 
Instead, we did Dave's birthday. I said, screw all that. I did Dave's birthday quest where you basically went off, went to an alternate, went to the Fae Wild, and Dave got his favorite birthday cake at the end. Now, I remember, wasn't, yeah. that also, wasn't there also a demon we dealt with there? Um, well, it was the same building. When we, we dealt, there there was a demon. I know there, were, there was a, I, okay. Yeah, there was a binding circle there. Yeah, there was an um and an R, but yeah, essentially there was another quest where you guys continued to go after. Like I kind of did an add-on because when the orcs were not were driven off, they weren't defeated, and you went and finished off the orc chieftain. Mm. So I threw that in there before you moved on. So in that time, I threw in a demon. So it was a very very minor demon. But wow, and it looks like there could have been attacks. Like it looks like a cult of elemental evil uh, would have attacked Zephyros's tower. We didn't run mm-hmm. into that. The Howling Hatred. Yeah. No, no Dave's birthday. Final answer. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was much more fun. That was the encounter where you went to the Feywild. We got separated. Got separated. Yeah. 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 That was one of the more fun encounters that you did at lower level. That was also your that was also your mechanic for introducing Erasmus instead of the Archnatch or whatever the Frost Giant NPC yeah. is. Yeah. Because that's where we found him. I, I don't know exactly was where you, you pick up uh, the Frost Shine. It may have been a little bit later, but yeah. yeah you fa- it was in that adventure because it was when Bonnie's character got separated. She wound up with the Frost Giant or with, with, with Erasmus fighting zombies. Or right. But Tony had engineered that entire encounter. Yeah, that was that was completely yeah. utterly homebrewed. That gave me a chance to throw in some riddles before you got in there. I threw out a dragon who was too tough for you to fight. So you had to work. With, you had to negotiate with him uh, <laughs> and solve a riddle before he let you in. But yeah, that was the encounter where there was the three-way party split, and that was a lot of yeah. fun. And then we went from there. Uh, we did wind up uh, meeting Zephyros and then going to – we did Bryn Shandar and we did Greenfields, it looks like, in Chapter 2. You eventually made it to Greenfields. Uh, yeah. I kind of threw that in later, where you made an appearance in each town, saving them from an attack. Because there was an attack mechanic. So That's no right, we, did, we, we hit Tribor too. We hit everything in Chapter 2. You, well, you eventually. See, the thing is, at that point, no matter where you went, there was some form of a giant attack. It's a different yeah. encounter. So you could have really had a different experience. So because of that, I want you to eventually have a chance to see all of these places. So levels later, you defend each of these respective towns from a giant attack. And the way I posed it was you saved Bryn Shandar, which was the most epic giant battle, which you did with diplomacy. And then later I put you in a position where I gave you double jeopardy and attacked both the towns at the same time and said, how are you going to handle this? Yes. We, we handled Bryn Shandar by promising to give them the ring, which we reneged on later. But, you know, hey, it got them to leave. So that was the important thing. Right. I think that the shorthand here is if there's a map for it in the book, we did it. Yeah, Waste no. not, want not on battle maps. I, I don't think I missed any of the battle maps. And I've certainly added plenty. I mean, I don't know how many snow-covered terrains I possibly searched in Google for. <laughs> Well, and that was kind of when we hit the chapter three, the Savage Frontier. That's really heading up north. And here, I think we wind up going. Well, we know we met the bar- we met the ragged barbarians, or some of the barbarians. I don't know which tribe. Uth and is this where you basically get your airship off the dragon? Chapter three here. Well, I introduced the airship. It, he was on King Traxton's mountain. Mm. The airship isn't actually. I don't believe introduced to much later, and it's much less cool than what I gave you. It's basically a hot air balloon. It, ship and i'm like yeah 
that. That does not work for me. I wanted you guys flying around, you know, flying through the air, going from place to place. It definitely would have taken us longer to get to some of the uh, giant clans if we were in a hot air balloon. Yeah, that definitely would have slowed up our travel time. I feel like I still, I mean, I kind of like the idea of the, of the steampunk blimp, but no, we we went straight, we passed, we jumped over steampunk and went straight to Spelljammer. Yeah. Yeah, no, actually I gave you a legit Spelljammer ship. I picked it out of the original material and that's what it spurred me to have you do a Spelljammer race where I gave you yes. an opportunity over time to upgrade your ship and speed and maneuverability so that you could compete with this other so- Spelljammer. Pilot. I feel like this is the point at which you really kind of wound up where we wound up off book because there's a point after the, after the, you rescue the towns, it seems like there's a point where you're doing a lot of ground travel and a lot of getting from place to place. And for us, we were jumping in a, an airship and instead of traveling and, and facing travel encounters, we're just zipping to wherever we want to go next. Like it's final fantasy, you know, like if we're in the airship, you just click the city you want to go. So you click the event you want to go to and you go do the event. Mm. Uh, I was certainly light on random encounters. That's you know, it, it was fun that way. I mean, we had some. I remember we were attacked by wyverns when we were in the sky. We definitely had some random encounters, but it never felt like, it always felt, like, I, like I keep coming back to that Final Fantasy reference, because that's kind of, it never really felt like we were wandering around, traveling to f- figure out where we were going. It always felt like we were kind of going, once we had the airship, it was like, okay, you just click the spot on the map you want to go to, maybe you hit a random encounter, and then you're there, you're doing your thing. Like, we weren't wasting a lot of time with travel, which waste is a tough word here because I don't think travel is a waste in some games. But for your game, you kept it moving. And, I mean, that was good. We we all enjoyed that, I think. Mm. Well, also, it gave me an opportunity to say, okay, so you're flying in your airship. Maybe I'm going to do a weather encounter. Maybe mm. you're going to be attacked. Maybe you have to change courses for some reason. Maybe something comes up and you need to do a side, you need to sidetrack and go to another location first. So there, there was ways where I wasn't just allowing you to go, okay, you hop in your ship, you go from the South Pole to Hawaii. And it's interesting because I've seen some online comments that Chapter 3 is really where this happens, like where where we wound up in kind of a different model than the normal book does. Because there is a lot of articles out there by Storm King's Thunder about how do you handle Chapter 3 once things get really wide open? How do you keep it on track? You kept it on track by just making it very clear. You're, here's the next place you have to go. Well, you know, there is the value of the plan of encounter, but <laughs> also without taking away choice, all, it's that you have, you can do whatever you want, but here's a really big, juicy, low hanging fruit. Are mm-hmm. you going to walk away from it and then go search for something else to eat? You're welcome to, but you know, here's a grapefruit and it's like hanging right in your face and it's most delicious. <laughs> as I flip through the here, as I flip through here, I am definitely seeing maps we did not get to. Uh, the Harper Teleportation Network is something that never came up. Oh. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, no. We didn't oh, well, that goes into some of the factions, as Tony was talking about, that we didn't really deal with. Other than the Zentarum, we had a very brief encounter with. Other than that, we did not. Get yeah, there was like mean, the Emerald Knights who weren't the Green Lantern Corps. I mean, there was a lot going on there. Yeah. So, so there's a way to run this module that is, I think more exploratory of explore this area of the forgotten realms. Like I'm looking at the book and now I didn't run this. So, so I'm just kind of like skimming as we're talking chapter three takes from page 63 to page 118. So you're talking like 50 pages worth of stuff in this module. Like, like that's like 20% of the module based on exploring these areas where we kind of said, or you kind of said you're in your airship, you have stuff to do, go do it. And I replaced that by said, 
here are the best attractions at Epcot Center. Let me show you where they are. <laughs> it worked. You know, and I think it's valuable for, for people listening to understand that's another way to do it, right? You don't need to kind of go, you don't need to get lost in an open world where the characters, players don't remember where they're going. You can just say, you're on a mission. Let's go do the next thing in the mission and keep things moving that way. That was That's very much a hallmark of how you DM. Well, I want everybody to not lose focus of the plot and any of the other like minor threads that we have. Which and we did at one point. I mean, that was like, that was, that was something you had to worry about with us. And you know what? That, that's on me because <laughs> I introduced a bunch of threats and sometimes you wind up tangled. What can I say? Well, how confused would we have been though with all these additional threats? Like, I mean, and we were, every game group's unique, right? We were playing more or less monthly, sometimes every once, every like six weeks. Some of us were involved in other things while playing. One, one gentleman, specifically was re remodeling a restaurant while trying to play. So, I mean, it, it seems like cutting that stuff out and kind of getting more direct on what was going on was probably a smart thing to do here. Well, I keep coming back to this. When you are playing infrequently, and I mean infrequently, like monthly, that's what I would say. I, I would, I, if you're going to do 12 games a year, as Dave has put it, it's got to be a celebration of gaming. You guys yeah. want to show up, have fun, kick some ass, have some cool moments, you know, maybe have a twist, and laugh about it at the end. Get some food in the middle. I think that's what everybody wants in these kind of games. If we were playing, like back in the day, dare I say, three times a week, then you know what? Let's let's inch our way around the board. That's fine. Because you're you're gonna need that material. I if I was doing that, then I would have been much, I would have structured XP much differently. Mm. I would have made yeah. the uh, exploration much more of a key factor. Because you know what? I, I would have, maybe the module would have still lasted a year, but we would have played three times as much. So that is one yeah. of the strengths of this module, that you had the ability to kind of explore the boundaries of it if you really wanted to, or had the ability to. Now, and that's, you know, looking at the rest of these chapters as they go by, so that's chapter three, the Savage Frontier, where you really have all the North to explore. Mm -hmm. Then you have chapter four is the Chosen Path. That's when you go visit the All Father's Temple, which we did. And the only thing, mm. I guess, you know, what you changed there was you pulled out the meteor storm trap that likely would have killed us all and added Hilarious. some <laughs> Yeah, there was a bit more exploring you could have done in that temple. There were some other encounters that were in there, but I, I edited it a little bit. You, you move from the All Fathers Temple. The important thing is I want you to go in there and get the information drop you needed. That's what I was thinking. You're going to go to the Old Father's Temple, be tested by the gods, and then take that information you have and apply it to your quest. Plus, on the way there is the first time we went to Elios. Yes, the Flying Sky Mall was not available in the in the original content of the module. <laughs> but, you know, this is something we've, we've talked about, you know, and, and DMs struggle with. So you're out there and you're fighting giants and you're acquiring all this gold. And maybe you don't have a lot of magical items because that's the way the game's structured. But you have... You, you're accumulating wealth. What am I doing with it? I mean, we're taking it on the road. I'm not going to buy a mansion. I'm not going to buy a manor home. I'm not, maybe I could buy a wagon, but I mean, that's not like, you know, you defeat a bunch of, you defeat half a dozen giants and you collect some treasure. You know, at that point, what, what am I going to do? Invest it in an orphanage? Maybe stocks? I mean. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like, it's like there's, there, you could have run this where you could have fleshed out the world a lot. But that wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't where we were going. And it wasn't really, I think, you know, I don't know if the players would have been that interested. Like, we took it, you took it in a direction that was very focused on, okay, let's, you know, play the story. 
and get through the story. I think we could like, you know, I, I have these flashbacks, almost like traumatic flashbacks of like episode <laughs> one with Star Wars, where it's like, let's talk about Naboo politics, because that's what people want. Tony, with the, the All-Father's Temple, did we play that as it was written, where the statues, in essence, turn into avatars of these types of giants, and they no. literally go through the whole... No, that was... Yeah, okay. I'm going to guess that was a fuck no, considering we beat one of every kind of giant before we got out of there. Yeah, that, that seems was more intense, like the DM dude. trying to figure out what our combat abilities were. Yeah, that was intense. No, I kind of did that at like a real rumble. That was what I had envisioned. I'm like, so we're going to throw the, the, the hill giant in the ring, you know, and you're kicking this guy's ass. And then, oh, in the middle of that fight, now the storm gi- the stone giant. Oh, here. no, he's coming <laughs> in with the chair. Oh. <laughs> but... One of the things that, you know, people, I'm sure, you know, some people have heard, like, I jacked up your ability scores, gave you these custom magic items. Give, as Cell said in his saga, what fun is having all this power if you have nothing to hit? So you have to give the players opportunities and threats that that match what you're presenting them if you're going above the curve. Mm. They're out there. It's very doable. That was a Dragon Ball Z reference there from the Cell, the Cell Saga of Dragon Ball Z. But uh, yeah, no, that that was indeed homebrewed. But uh, the important part was I wanted to give an information drop, but I saw an opportunity to do a fun encounter in there too. It was fun. You know, we had a great time with it. I think, uh, and that's one of the things, like, I mean, more or less streamlining chapter three and spending the bulk of our time on chapters, you know, four, five, six, because it looks like we hit every giant lair, and that is basically chapters four through uh, ten, four through eleven, four through eleven, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what does trapped in the tentacles mean? Uh, that's probably the um, that's cracking stuff. Uh, Golden goose, the grand dam, the cracking cometh back to the maelstrom. Yeah. So basically, would we have if we had gone by the book, would would we have hit the maelstrom earlier? Um, it depends how it was played, and again, I have to say that. If I was doing this by the book, I would have to let it roll a lot more like how Dave is running his game, where I said, you know what? You are controlling your position. Go. Yeah. And that would have changed the speed, the dynamic. I would have kept it not scene focused like I did and said, you know what? We're going to see where we go. But the problem is, for me as a DM, I'm like, man, I don't want to read all this and have all this loose <laughs> in case I've got all these what ifs and what you guys do, because there was a lot of information. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's really fair because and it's one of the things we've talked about a lot. Okay, you're the DM, you've got to run all this. But if you're spending a lot of time prepping things those things the players choose not to do, you're wasting a lot of time. And you know, that sounds great if you're kind of if you have the time for it and you just want to read it to, to know it all yourself. But when you're a busy working adult, that's hard to do. You know, cutting to the story is probably the right choice. And honestly, even if you have the time just because you read it doesn't mean you have all this information at your fingertips. And right. one of the things I like to do when I'm running a game is I want to actually, I try to treat it like I'm presenting to my audience an effective speaking class. Mm. You know, this has got to run smooth. Like it shouldn't be a surprise to me what's in this room. I should know where these <laughs> things are. <laughs> I have definitely had that at times where I'm like, oh, that's here. Okay. All right. I am so much, you know, for me, I know as a DM for me, part we've talked about kind of the difference between homebrew and module work. In Call of Cthulhu, I'm working usually with modules, at least at this point. Yeah. When I'm using a module, it is so much harder for me because I have to remember so much of it. 
Whereas if I'm home brewing it, I'm just making it up as I go. And then I don't need to, okay, I got to improv more. I got to think on my feet more, but I'm good at that. I'm not good at memorizing what's in the book. Like I, I am, I am not the kind of person who can quote the Silmarillion to you. As we've, as we've established, <laughs> I'm named after a hobbit. I couldn't tell you the names of the rest of the hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not memorizing facts and regurgitating them on point. I would rather do something that is, okay, well, what do you see? Well, here's what you see. Why? Because I said so. And we're moving on. And hopefully it sounds good enough that it's going to carry through. I mean, managing a book like this without that crutch, you know, you get into a lot, you, you get into a lot of the tools we talked about before, getting people to, to, to decide what they're going to do at the end of one adventure so you can prep it for the next adventure. But I feel like, you know, Tony, I feel you jacked up basically a very epic, very, uh, very, very episodic, very, um, very story focused version of Storm King's Thunder. And we had a great time. Run, I had a great time running it. I, I, I think I speak for everyone when I say that. Yeah, no. And it, I think it could have gone two different ways. You you have the way Tony did it. And if you decided to go, you know, since this chapter three seems to be where the, it really spirals out, it really, you know, it really branches out into all the things you could do that. You do run the risk, though, because as we saw, even with our group, you know, we're 16 sessions total and the last several of them, life th stuff gets in the way, schedules get in the way whatever so if you're in the midst of this really deep exploratory thing through water deep and the rest of the sword coast well now you run the risk of not having ever completed that campaign as opposed to us talking about a completed adventure you know yeah. a multi-part adventure which just it ran just very differently it ran much more as you've said thorn very high epic fantasy where we were involved only in world-changing events Whatever was happening with the little people down on the on the ground didn't really affect our sessions day to day, you know. So because we were dealing with uh, with the big stuff, we definitely played it like you would play a video game where you ignore the side quest. You know how you, you right? know, sometimes when you first play a video game, you just you, know, you ignore the side quest and just focus on the main quest, yeah. and then go do the side stuff. That's kind of how we did it. Like eight hours instead of like three hundred forty-two. We, we did not spend a lot of hours chasing butterflies, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. you know what? They keep saying that you give gifts like you want to receive. Yeah. I kind of want to run the game that I wish I was a player in. I want to do the epic things. I want to receive the epic items. I want to have the epic character upgrade. So that's what I kind of want to share with my players. And to rate those things, that's one of the things I enjoy about it as a DM most strongly. Wow. I think it's a great way to put it. And I think it's a great spot to break our first episode of our uh, recap of Storm King's Thunder, our post-mortem on Storm King's Thunder. So mm -hmm. guys, why don't we wrap with final thoughts on prepping Storm King's Thunder, the changes Tony made, and kind of how you can approach an adventure like this. And we will come back next week with a conclusion where we'll focus more on the characters, what we brought to the table, how Tony worked with those characters, and I think how we played it and how we approached these things. Because it was really, uh, we were constantly in the epic shit <laughs> really, mm. from adventure one literally uh from adventure one so guys final thoughts on opening prepping and uh adjusting storm king's thunder despite what all the changes i made i really enjoyed uh what the creators of the module put together however someone else ran it is fantastic it just didn't fit my player style i kind of got into where my niche is and because i was comfortable with it it let me run 
more smoothly with it. So that's why I made these changes. And that for that reason, like I kind of wanted to add my own personal flavor to the game. So everybody kind of enjoyed the game, hopefully in the way that I did. Yeah, for me, I like the way Tony did it. And it kind of would upset me if we hadn't been able to do the tour of Italy because I I appreciate 5e of updating a lot of these classic things and adding all of this additional world and stuff to explore. Like for instance, with Curse of Strahd, Storm King's Thunder though, like I want the against the giants thing because I remember kind of playing it when I was a kid, you know, the original, uh, the original set. So I kind of wanted that. And if I missed out on that, I didn't get to go and fight the Frost Giants, let's say. I, that would be like kind of, I would have missed out on that. So I, I kind of dug that we we went this route with it, you know. I think the other one is probably fun too with the right group. But yeah, this was definitely a very uh, seat of your pants, uh, just kicking doors in and, and killing orcs. Just really, really big orcs. <laughs> We killed way more than orcs. I mean, this was this was a kick the door in and go leap and slash the giant's throat 15 feet in the air. Yeah, this was yeah. uh, kill the dragon. This was outrace the frost giant demigod and his frost giant world. weird clay golem thing that was in the uh, Duke Zalto's lair. It was absolutely yeah. out. Yeah, ball oh, that was out. an iron golem. That was that was kind of <laughs> iron golem. That's it. Yeah, he's only about 25 feet tall though. So I would say, you know, my final thoughts on, on this side of it is, you know, it really, we, we say this a lot, and I don't want it to get lost. There's no one right way to DM. And the way Tony did this and the way I do uh, anything I do, we're kind of different, but I st- like, I love this. This was a great time. I kind of apologize, Tony, that I'm not going to give you this kind of experience in Woodstock Wanderers, because for hey. me, it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's your world. At the same time, I think I think you've seen my world can work out that way. I mean, we had a good time with Cassidus. We'll have a good time here. But I really did, you know, I really liked it. It was cool going through all the epicness and having this kind of high wind style adventure. And I thought that was really neat. Uh, Zhang, you know, we'll get into his character sheet later, but I've still got, like, I've written most of what he's gotten on his sheet. And there is so much, like, just crazy stuff filled in there that he has at this point at level 11 that are it's, it's pretty cool you know we, we touched on it a little bit but there's more to talk about there and it's just the you know the, getting the magic items we didn't even hit the halloween game where you know we were all the avengers like i mean all this totally stuff in the book was really neat yeah yeah we 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 did the you know the the dm tony epic version of uh <laughs> of, of storm king's thunder it's like the the mas mucho more epic skt is what we did here. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. So that's part one guys. Yeah. Thanks for playing through it and, and, and talking about it here. Absolutely. Good stuff guys. Catch us next week for our more PC focused, the player focused side of storm King's thunder. We'll talk about what we brought to the table, how Tony worked it in and kind of actually playing through this at the same time. If you have any questions, you'd like to ask Tony what he did with this, feel free to send us an email at three wise DMS at gmail.com. You can also reach us using the what's your problem field on our website. That's three wise DMS.com. And we can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're all very active there. If you have anything else, you'd like to hear us say please send it in anything any other input you want to hear from us or that kind of thing you know we're always answering reader questions if you like what you're hearing please smash that five star rating button on the podcast platform you use leave us a review share it with your friends that stuff all helps us a ton we're seeing a ton of growth in the audience we really appreciate it that's you helping us reach more people and that is awesome thank you very much we'll catch you next week on three wise dms